Let us now come before the throne of God in prayer and ask him for his blessing upon the reading and the teaching of his holy word. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that we may come before you in holy prayer. We thank you that we may call out to you our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, as we have confessed, you're a great and mighty God, and so are your works. As a Father, you have created all things, including us. You're also the one who upholds all things. And you're also the one that has sent your Son. And what great works he has done here on earth. It is he who was born, this human being, like each one of us. It was he who went about preaching and teaching, forming many signs and wonders. It was he who suffered and died and also rose again. And it's he who has ascended on high and who is now ruling. As Father, we thank you that our Savior and King is in the midst of his thousand-year reign. And we pray that we may learn more about this reign this afternoon. As he reigns, he rules by his word and spirit, and so the spirit is also at work. May the Spirit also work in us this afternoon. That we may be attentive to your words. We may be strengthened in our faith. We may increase in our knowledge. May we come to a greater appreciation of the riches of the gospel of grace. We pray so bless us then as we worship. May we have open ears and open hearts for the message. Father, we thank you for the message. We thank you for the words. This afternoon, we will pay attention to the summary of your words. This afternoon, we will pay attention to the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 19, which speaks about the reign of Christ and about his return. And Father, will you so be with us now and give to each one of us what we have need of, and will you keep all sin and all distraction far from us? And hear us in our Savior's name. Amen. Let us now open God's holy word. And in connection with the explanation this afternoon of Lord's Day 19, let us read from two passages. Two passages from the New Testament. First from the Gospel of John chapter 5. Reading verses 19 through 30. And then from the last book of the New Testament, book of Revelation. Reading chapter 20. And after we've read from both of these passages, let us sing from Psalm 2, the stanzas 2, 3, and 4. Reading first then from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 30. Beginning at verse 19, we read, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. 
For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And so far from the Gospel of John... And then turning to the revelation of God to John, to the last book of the Bible, reading from chapter 20. There we read, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from him and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne on him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. 
And so far, the reading of God's holy word.
congregation this afternoon, I may teach you God's word. As the church has summarized it and confesses it in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 19. Let us read then the three questions and answers of this Lord's Day. There we confess why is it added and sits at the right hand of God. Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. And what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven, the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. And so far the catechism. And after the teaching of God's word, let us respond in song. Let us sing from Psalm 72, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, what is Jesus Christ doing today? Is he ruling as king from heaven above? And will he keep ruling until the day he comes from heaven to judge the living and the dead? Why I ask these questions is because there are many Christians who deny the current reign of Christ the King especially south of the border, in the United States, many evangelical Christians relegate Christ's kingship to the future as they believe Christ will come back one day, take all the believers up to himself in what they call a rapture, and then he will come down here to earth to reign. And out of the holy city of Jerusalem, he will begin his literal thousand-year reign on earth. And with this reign, the unbelieving Jews will convert to the Christian faith. And then only after his millennium reign, or the thousand-year reign, will Jesus Christ come again in his final judgment. Beloved, such premillennial beliefs of so many go against what we confess here in Lord's Day 19. As a Reformed Church, we believe Christ is reigning today. He is in the midst of his thousand-year reign. And we believe Christ will return not twice, but only once more. As we believe he will come back one day, on the last day, to judge the living and the dead. Just to judge everyone. And so let us then turn to the truth of God's words. And God's word then comes to you this afternoon as the church has summarized it. In Lord's Day 19, under this theme, Jesus Christ, who is in the midst of his thousand-year reign, will one day come back to judge everyone. We'll pay attention first to his current rule and then to his future return. I repeat, Jesus Christ, who is in the midst of his thousand-year reign, will one day come back to judge everyone. We'll pay attention first to his current rule and then to his future return. It's beloved, as we confess as church in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus Christ sits 
at the right hand of God. You notice the Apostles' Creed uses here the present tense. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God. Yes, right now in heaven, Jesus Christ is ruling over all things. Yes, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension are mentioned as being in the, in the past. But when it comes to Christ's secession, Christ's sitting and ruling, it is in the present. It's happening as I speak. Now, as I mentioned earlier, many evangelical North Americans deny that Christ is reigning already over his kingdom. They turn to the passage we read from Revelation 20, which speaks of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And they believe this reign is still to come. They believe that one day Christ will return to earth to take all believers from this earth to himself. And they call this sudden removal of believers upward to heaven the rapture. And then with his first return, Christ will begin his thousand-year reign here on earth. Now, those who hold to this basic position are called premillennialists. Now, we must realize that there are all kinds of millennialists out there. There are premillennialists, postmillennialists, amillennialists. And with each of these camps, there are differences. In fact, there are many differing views among Christians concerning the doctrine of millennialism. In fact, there is a bewildering maze of thoughts about the thousand-year reign of Christ. Yet they all claim that their position is based on God's word, and then especially on on Revelation 20, the the passage we read this afternoon. Now the vast majority of evangelical Christians on this continent are called premillennialists. And there are two basic premillennialist positions. First of all, there's the historic premillennialists. And this name suggests that this This position, this view has been around from very early on in church history. And then there is the far more popular view of premillennialism. It's the dispensational premillennialists. And yes, many leading North American evangelical leaders are dispensational premillennialists. For example, Hal Lindsey, John MacArthur, Charles Swindle hold to this view, to to the view of dispensational premillennialism. Now, you might be wondering, where does, where does this come from? Where does dispensational premillennialism come from? Well, it was started by men like Darby and Schofield in the 1800s. And the belief is that the Bible speaks not of two dispensations, the old and new dispensation, the old and new covenant, but, as they say, of seven dispensations. Yes, the belief is that there are seven dispensations, seven distinct time periods in the history of this world. And it is the last two time periods or the last two dispensations that are important for us this afternoon. As the premillennialists say, we live in the sixth dispensation, what they call the dispensation, the time of the church. And they say, yes, one more dispensation, one more time needs to come. The seventh dispensation, that is the dispensation of the kingdom, the time of the kingdom. And that dispensation, that time, will be the time of Christ's thousand-year reign here on earth. And they also say that this last dispensation, this last time period, the time period of the kingdom, will begin only after the rapture. 
And what is the rapture, you might ask? Well, based on their readings of 1 Thessalonians 4, they believe that believers who are dead will be raised, and the believers who are still living will be changed, and then they will be caught up with Christ in the clouds to meet him in the air. Yes, suddenly all believers, true believers, will be taken from this world into heaven, leaving everyone else here behind. And with the sudden departure of Christian believers, then God's big program for Israel will resume in earnest. And he say, after this rapture, God will focus again on converting the unbelieving Jews. And this means that Jesus Christ will return to earth. He will return to the city of Jerusalem to sit on the throne of David to begin his thousand-year reign here on earth. And yes, during this thousand-year reign, the devil will be literally bound up and cast into the abyss. And then they say, yes, Jews. Many of those already gathered in the ancient homeland of Palestine will, for the most part, believe in Jesus Christ. And they will be saved. And there will be then a literal fulfillment of many of Old Testament prophecies about Israel. For example, Isaiah's prophecy of of the restoration of Jerusalem will be fulfilled during this thousand-year reign. And Ezekiel's prophecy of the restoration of the temple will also be fulfilled during this thousand-year reign. And one could go on. And this helps explain why so many North American evangelical Christians are very supportive of the state of Israel today. They see the existence of the nation of Israel as preparation, yes, for this thousand-year reign of Christ. And what is this thousand-year reign to be like? And this thousand-year reign will be a golden time in this world. They say universal peace and prosperity will prevail. As Christ will reign with the saints, with believing Israel here on earth. And then at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, there will be a short period of rebellion which will be crushed by Christ, and then the unbelievers will be subject to their great white throne judgment. And then we will have the end. Either be cast into heaven or into hell. This all sounds fantastic. But beloved, we reject this teaching. For starters, we reject the popular teaching of the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4 does not describe the rapture before the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4 describes the return of Jesus Christ on the last day, when the thousand-year reign is over, when the millennial reign of Christ is complete, when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And we also, beloved, reject their interpretation of Revelation 20. Now, it's true that only in this passage in Scripture that speaks about the millennial or the thousand-year reign of Christ. In fact, this passage mentions the thousand-year reign at least six times. And how are we to understand that number thousand? Well, the premillennialists, they take that number thousand literally rather than symbolically, and here we have our problem. We must understand that the book of Revelation is filled with symbols, It's also true with respect to the numbers found in this book. And so many of the numbers used in the book of Revelation are not intended to be interpreted literally, but but symbolically. And so also the number 1,000, as it's used in Revelation 20, is is a symbolic number. Yes, a thousand-year reign points to the fullness of Christ's reign, the completeness of Christ's reign. 
however long that may be. And we also then need to understand that the book of Revelation then describes the end times. The time between Christ's ascension into heaven and Christ's return on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. In fact, the book of Revelation describes this time period not once, but, but seven times. You can say that the book of Revelation has seven parallel sections Each section, including Revelation 20, described from each time a slightly different angle, that time between Christ's ascension into heaven and Christ's return on the clouds of heaven to judge the living and the dead. And so, yes, beloved, Revelation 20 describes the time we are living in today. We are living in the time of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, in the time of the new covenant, As Jesus Christ began his thousand-year reign when he ascended into heaven, and he said just before he ascended, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And there he is then, seated at his Father's right hand, and he has been given then the position of authority, as he is a very important position in the government of heaven and earth. In fact, the Father governs all things through his Son, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ rules and governs over this entire creation, over all world governments, over, we can say, everything. He's busy doing this right now, ruling and governing over everything for the benefit of his church. In fact, beloved, our Lord Jesus Christ gives his church everything we need to be truly his church in this world. Yes, by his power, our Lord and King is defending and preserving us as church from all our enemies. That's what he's doing right now. For yes, we have our enemies who are constantly attacking us. And who are these enemies? Well, we all face our own flesh. This is the enemy which is in each and every one of us. As there's a war going on inside each and every one of us. Our old nature is battling it out against our new nature. It's a war between doing good and, and doing evil. And Christ, our King, helps us fight this battle. He gives us his spirit, the power of his spirit to fight back, to put to death our old nature. To put on our new nature, the new nature that comes to life. And so yes, there is this war going on within us. Each one of us. And will go on until the day we die. And then there is another enemy that we need to fight against. And that enemy is the world. It's when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we're renewed by the Spirit. Then we act and we think and... We speak differently than the world around us, and the world doesn't like this. In fact, the world hates this. For the world wants us to join with them, to do as they do. And we face then that temptation to go with this world. For who really wants to be different? Who wants to be called a dweeb, a holy roller? Yes, the pressure we face to conform to this world is is incredible. Don't we know this as young people, but also as as older adults? As as young people, you want to be cool, you want to fit in, you want to have some friends. 
And so you want to do what everyone else is doing around you. And so, yes, you listen to the same music, seek out the same entertainment. And yet, we have a king who is ruling over us, is he not? He says, don't follow the world around, but follow me. Listen to my word, obey my words. And he helps us then to resist this enemy. With the help of a spirit, we, we are then helped, yes, to not conform to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our hearts and of our minds. With the help of the spirit, we can go different direction, the direction of his words. And then there's another enemy, the enemy called the devil. He's the deceiver of this world. He has many already in his grip. And he wants you and I too. He wants to destroy us. He can't destroy God. But then he takes great pleasure in destroying everything and everyone who belongs to God. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, can the devil really do this? We read there in Revelation 20 that the devil has been bound for a thousand years. Yes, really, how can we speak of him being active? Now, to understand this point, we need to go back to Revelation 12. And there we can read that when Jesus Christ descended into heaven to his Father's right hand, Satan was thrown out of heaven down here to earth. After that point, he's no longer access to the, the courts of heaven. And so here he is on earth. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to eat up. Yet we may say that he is a lion, but a lion on a leash. He is bound here on earth. And as we read it there in Revelation 20, as the angel came from heaven, seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, that is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he was thrown into the abyss, and he was locked and sealed over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Indeed, Satan is locked up. He is bound. He can no longer deceive the nations as he did before. As this is what he did before Christ ascended and the Spirit was poured out. Then Christ ascended to his throne in heaven. He's in his midst of his thousand-year reign. And it's during this reign that the gospel goes out to all the nations. And this is what we're seeing right now. The gospel is being preached far and wide in this world. And just think of how the gospel is now being heard in Indonesia and in Brazil and in China to name a few places. And so you can see the nations are no longer under Satan's deceptive rule. Oh sure, Satan is active in this world. Yet his activity is bound, it is limited. And so we see that it is Jesus Christ who is truly sovereign. He curtails even Satan's activities. He hems him in. And he does this for the benefit of his church, for the gathering of his church from among all the nations. And so we see the power of our Lord and King as he rules. Yes, Satan can only act under his permission. But not only do we see the power of our King, 
We also see the many gifts and blessings that come from our king. Yes, what an abundance of blessings and gifts he has showered upon us as church. He gives us everything we need to be church. He gives us everything to need, we need to reach out into this world as church. And he gives us everything we need to have the gospel preached in this world. And so, yes, Jesus Christ is busy reigning. And as we read there in Revelation 20, the saints in heaven are reigning with him. But then, yes, at times it may seem that Jesus Christ is not reigning. And that others are. Yes, so often it looks, it looks like our enemies are reigning in this world. And yet, beloved, we cannot go with what we see with our eyes. No, we go by faith. We must simply believe that Jesus Christ is in charge. That he is ruling. That he restrains the forces of evil at work in this world. Sure, there remains stubborn opposition to him and to his kingdom. And then one day, beloved, one day this opposition will come to nothing. Yes, one day even our last enemy, death, will be completely defeated. And that brings us to our, to our last point, his future return. Yes, there's one more step in Christ's glorification that we need to consider. And that is that Christ will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Indeed, what a glorious day that will be. We don't know when that day will be, when it will arrive. This day will suddenly arrive. It will take people by surprise. And that day, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will come with the clouds of heaven. He will come down to here on earth with many angels. He will come down with all his holy ones, those who have died who, with their souls are now in heaven. And his coming down will be accompanied with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And then, yes, the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, beloved, the dead in Christ are not the only ones who are to rise on the last day. Those who who do not believe, who already died, they will also rise from the dead. That's what we read there in John 5. There we read, for a time is coming when all, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will, will rise to life, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And yes, so there will be a general resurrection of believers, of unbelievers, and then, yes, Christ will come in his final judgment on all. As Jesus Christ said there in John 5, the Father judges no one but has entrusted all his judgment to the Son. And so when the Son comes in all his glory with all his angels with him, he will sit down on his throne of glory. He will sit down on that great white throne as mentioned there in Revelation 20. And then the dead, great and small, will stand before the throne and then the books... The books will be opened. Another book will be opened, which is the book of life. And yes, the dead are going to be judged according to what they have done. As recorded in the books, we will be judged. 
Because we'll be judged for whatever we have done. We'll be judged for our thoughts, our words, our deeds, for those things that are hidden from the eyes of others. We'll have to give account before the Lord. Yes, we as believers will be subject to Christ's judgment. It will be a real judgment. But we need not fear his judgment. We need not fear his verdict, his pronouncement. For he has declared us just before him. Righteous before him. Thanks to what he has done on the cross. Is in this way he submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and your sake. And so we are not under curse. We're not under condemnation. Yes, now, but also on the last day. If we're in Christ, Christ by faith, we will not be condemned. And if we are in Christ by faith, it will show in our works. If we are in Christ by faith, our names have been written in the book of life. And so God will receive us into his presence Seeing not our sins, but our righteousness in Jesus Christ. And so everyone will be judged by Christ. Some to eternal life and others to eternal death. And there will take place then this great separation on that day of judgment. A separation of believers and unbelievers. And yes, as believers, our innocence will be made known to all. And also everyone will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring upon the wicked who persecuted, oppressed, and tormented us in this world. For yes, we as believers have to deal with oppression and torment and persecution. We have to deal with with evils and wrongs committed by those around us. And as we live in this world... When we face these things, we need to, yes, try to right things. When evils and wrongs are committed against us, we, we need to, to make right in these situations. This, as far as it depends on, on you and me, we need to live at peace with everyone. Yet, as we all know, not every wrong in, is righted in this life. And it seems like the wicked get away with so much evil and so much e- wrongdoing. And it seems like there is no justice coming from God. And we can easily complain and say, yes, it's not fair. Just look what the wicked, the evil people get to get away with. And we can't let go of this. And it's easy to become bitter, wondering, will they ever be called to account Will they ever be punished for the wrongs they commit against us? Well, beloved, they will. In the day of Christ's judgment, if they have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, they will face eternal condemnation, eternal death in hell. Frightening indeed. But we believing in Jesus Christ need not to be frightened of the news of his, of his certain coming. As Jesus Christ said himself, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. And so as believers in our triune God, 
we may lift up our heads and eagerly await the judge, Jesus Christ, with the help of his spirits, with the help of his many gifts, we can be truly ready for his great day, the day of his return. Therefore, we expect that great day with a most ardent desire to the end that we may fully enjoy the promises of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.